Um, Father, thank you for all that, that is going on in the life of our church. God, and most importantly, how you engage with each one of us. You know, there's something um, very distinctly powerful about how you show up, particularly when we celebrate a Christmas season, that we celebrate Emmanuel, God with us, that there's something about the way you interact with mankind that's just so distinctly different. So as we look at one of the prophetic words this morning uh, of Jesus's first coming, God, we pray that you would uh, just broaden our hearts, build our hearts, help us to understand even more deeply your love for us, your grace toward us. And I pray that it would build our hearts. We ask this in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Isaiah chapter 9. Um, familiar passage about the coming of Christ. You've probably heard it before, but as I was praying and studying, I just felt like God said, stick right here. I'm, I'm going to go outside of the chapter some, um, but most of it will be based within the chapter. Now, as we look at this, you have to understand that that this is really a discussion of kingdoms. So you're talking about the nation of Israel, which was a kingdom, and you're talking about a time and a period where Assyria, which was one of the, the foreign kingdoms, they're attacking Israel, and they're taking them captive. So this prophecy comes in the middle of doom and gloom. Does that feel anything like America to y'all? Like everybody's worried about everything. Listen, can I help you? Like it was kind of interesting for me to talk to my buddy from Australia. He's like... He goes, if you think you guys have it bad in the U.S., he goes, you ought to come over to Australia. He goes, it's worse. He goes, inflation is different. He said, it's just different. He goes, and, and the foresight for you guys, as bad as you think it might be, is way better than like the Euro nations, Australia, or some of the other progressive nations. He said, take a deep breath. You're not in as bad a shape as you think you are. I was like, hallelujah, I like that. But all of this, this text is happening in the middle of doom and gloom. So when we think like kingdoms, world power, powerful nations, what are our powerful nations? Well, well, we are, aren't we? United States? What are some of the others that are powerful in our world? Come on, church. We have Russia. I hear Russia. What's another one? China. That's another one. Are there any other world powers? Great Britain. Great Britain. Well, I don't know. Maybe a day ago or so. They're still powerful. But overall, you have three or four major powers within the world. It's not different then. You've got times where, where there's contesting and war and battle that are going on. And, and what you're going to see, we're going to jump in in verse 1. You're going to see that the, the prophecy initiates by talking about the, the countries that were impacted most devastatingly. Like they were hit the hardest. So let's go ahead and look at verse 1. And we'll just walk through a handful of verses together this morning. And the goal for me this morning, I want to talk to you about was Jesus God... Or was he a man or was he both? That's really what I want to talk to you about. And I know some of you are like, well, I know the answer to that. I want to show it to you in the prophecy as well. So verse 1, it says, There will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish in earlier times. He treated the land of Zebulun, that's one of the tribes, and the land of Naphtali, another one of the tribes, with contempt. But later on he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea, and on the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Any of those places sound familiar to you? Yes. Jordan, Galilee, Gentiles? Yeah. Yeah. See, what you're seeing is a prophecy that several hundred years before Jesus ever shows up. Mm. They're in a time where they're being crushed and taken over. They're in battle. And, and this word gloom literally means darkness. So there was darkness over the land. Mm. 
Now, listen, listen. If we talk about where our nation is right now, some of us would say, man, there's, there's darkness over the land. Others would say, no, it's better than it's ever been. And really, if we're honest, that's a political discussion more than it is a spiritual one, isn't it? Because as best I understand, God didn't fall off his throne. Hello, church? And God is not particularly interested if you're a Republican, a Democrat, or an independent, a libertarian, whatever. What he's interested in is that we honor and worship him as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, right? So we don't want to get that as, but there's darkness over the land. And the reality is these are God's people. So they're realizing that there's something that it seems out of order. And it says that, that there would be great anguish, distress, that they would be constrained, even bound. Like Isaiah uses this word again, and he uses it in Isaiah 51. And I want to walk through that, just a, a verse with you or two real quick. So this is Isaiah 51, verse 13. And it says, he says, you've forgotten the Lord, your maker. And anybody in the room ever forgotten God? Yes. Oh, woe is me. It's so awful. Or we think God has forgotten us. To have, don't, we, don't we do this sometimes? He says, who stretched out the heavens and he laid the foundations of the earth that you fear continually all day long because of the fury of the oppressor. That fury of the oppressor, same word as anguish. You see fury, you see oppression as he makes ready to destroy. But where is the fury of the oppressor? In other words, God is bigger than the darkness and the anguish that you see. Can somebody please say amen to that? Amen. Like when we get our eyes off of God, we get kind of stuck, don't we? Right. When we keep our eyes on God, we're a little less worried about the temporary difficulties and a little bit more oriented in faith. So Zebulun, Naphtali, these were some of the hardest hit like nations by the Assyrians. So when they go into battle, these two were particularly hard hit. Watch, and, and this is how God handles injustice. Like, when, when I, what I'm wanting to do with you throughout these few verses that we're going to cover is what I'm trying to do is, is go from the Old Testament to the New, back to the Old, back to the New, so that you can see that there's connections. Like, that, that, that it's not in a vacuum. Like, one of the people said to me one time, I was talking to somebody, they said, they said, well, how can you prove Jesus is real? And if I'm honest, I can't. I can't. I can tell you what he's done in my heart, but that's a testimony. Right? Like, that's not, I, I held him, I touched him, I felt him. But then I said this, how can I tell you that he's real? Prophecy. I said prophecy. And they go, yeah, but that's a, a book written about the guy who's fulfilling the prophecy. I said, yeah, written over a couple thousand years in several languages on several continents under different world leaders and powers, all with the same message. Heck, I can't get youth for to tell the same story. We got a book over time and language and world powers that says the exact same story. And they said, how can you believe that? I said, oh, for me, it's simple. Because the Jews fulfilled prophecies that proved Jesus was Jesus. It's simple for me. Because why would the Jews fulfill the prophecies proving that he was the Christ when they were the ones who crucified him? It doesn't make sense. So for me, prophecy. So when we're looking at this, we're going backward and forward to try to build connections in your heart that God was not doing this in a vacuum. So in Matthew chapter 4, God is going to start to deal with some of the injustice that's going on, and he's going to reference this passage. So this is verse 12 of chapter 4. It says, Now when Jesus heard 
that John had been taken into custody. Now, John he's speaking of is John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus. You'll remember he was the one who said his sandals, I'm not even worthy to unloose those. And then he goes on to baptize the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And it says, and Jesus then withdraws into Galilee and leaving Nazareth, he came and he settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea. That sound familiar from the text I just read? That's by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. Watch, this was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light. And those who were sitting in the land, in the shadow of death, upon them lighted and dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say this, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You guys ever thought about the word repent? Like we've heard it, we're Christians, we're around it. If you've never heard it, if you're not around church life, repent means if you're going this way, to turn around, do a 180 and go the other way. It means metanoia, it means to change the way you think. That's literally what repentance is about. Do the opposite of what you feel and what you're experiencing. So God does this to, like the most unassuming place in the world. Why pick Galilee, Nazareth? Like this is like the south side of the tracks kind of deal. You got to understand where Jesus came from. Like, like most of us think he's the king of the world, like palaces. Wouldn't you think a king would come from a palace? Yeah, yeah. Wouldn't you think he'd come from like notoriety, not from, well, the, the virgin birth and pretty much everybody thinks like, well, they were shacking up. She got pregnant. So they called it something it wasn't. And I'll show you that in a little bit, by the way. So you've got these like accusations. You've got these ideas that are going on. You, you would think he'd come from a great place. Like kings don't come from rural nothingness. They don't come from poverty. They don't come from the south side of the tracks. But Jesus does. See, when you study the life of Jesus, there's no reason why he should have been known. It's not like his dad was a president of a nation or a country. I mean, granted, his father's the king of the universe, hello? But in a natural sense, he's not known. In fact, Jesus wasn't even very good looking. It says there was nothing stately about him, nothing that you would notice. He'd just be an everyday guy. Like, Jesus would probably look a lot, well, like me and you. Just an everyday guy. Just doing life. Not out of the ordinary. Not in nice clothing or any of that sort of stuff. Very simple. So two things I want to point out. Like, when you think of what Jesus was doing, he went to the smallest, most inconsequential place, and, and he does this. Like, God will go into the place of your destruction, of your destruction, the place of your greatest defeat, listen, and he'll bring light. Now, now can I say something to you? Listen, this is really important. Like, one, this is one of the things that's remarkable to me about how God works with people. Like, God won't force you. You guys all know that, right? Yeah. Like I said a few months back, I said, what's the most powerful thing in the universe? And everybody said, God. And I said, no, your, your will. Now, now listen, listen, I understand God is the most powerful. But what I'm saying when I say that is God will never usurp your will. He won't go, he won't write it over. So when we talk about places of devastation, places of destruction, and your will, your choice, you know, you have to choose to enter into what God offers. 
man, it, you know, they, you guys have heard the story, like the, the guy's in the flood, he's sitting up on the house, and he's like, the boat comes by, God's going to save me. The boat's like, okay, I won't take you then. Another boat comes by, get in the boat, and he's like, nope, God's going to save me. Finally, a helicopter, water's like at his feet, helicopter comes by, come on, grab the rope, we'll pull you up, we'll fly you away, and he says, nope, God is going to save me. Then he drowns. And he's standing in heaven, and he's like, what the heck? I thought you were going to save me. He said, I sent two boats and a helicopter. <laughs> Sometimes you've got to do what? Make a choice. God won't force you to walk in his mercy. won't force you to walk by faith. It's a choice. But he will show up in your greatest point of devastation and shine light. I've seen him do it in my life over and over. Praying he continues to do it in my life over and over. The second thing is this, God goes to your place of destruction, listen, and he'll give you a way out. Thus the reason Jesus said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repentance is your choice. God will convict you of sin, but walking out of sin is whose choice? A little to say, that's my choice. My choice is to walk in freedom. God won't force you to do that. So repent for the sea. This area is ravaged. Life is dark. It's difficult. Now let's jump back over to Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to look at verse 2, and, and we're going to walk through these few more verses, and I'm going to park on this in verse 5 and just talk a little bit about that toward the end. So this area is ravaged. Life is difficult. It's dark. In verse 2, it says this, And the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, light will shine on them. Man, listen, when life is dark around you, you need to remind yourself that God shows up when things are dark. Man, that's just how he moves. Now, I, I wish, man, there are times I wish it wasn't hard to discover God. Anybody else with me on that? Yeah. yeah like sometimes it's like, man, I don't know why God waits till the very last second, but he does. Yeah, yeah. Like, like if I'm honest, I've argued with him a few times. Like you couldn't have shown up yesterday. Like, really? You had to wait, like, till there was no, yeah, because otherwise I would trust whatever resource I came up with to solve the issue. I'm not sure why God does that other than to make him the final say. That's the only reason I can think of. I like it when he shows up earlier, but my experience has been that often he comes through on the later side of things, when things are dark, when they're hard, when they're difficult. And if you look at the Bible, you will see over and over that this is the very nature of prophetic life. Like, so when we look at Isaiah and we say, man, you've got this prophet to the nations and he's talking about Jesus, the Messiah, and, and things are bad. They're bad. How bad are they? Really bad. really bad. They're in devastation. They're in anguish. Things are dark. It's, it's what? It's really, really bad. It's really bad. Listen, some of us, if we're honest about our lives, they're, they're bad. Mm -hmm. If we're honest about situations we're dealing with, they're bad. Mm -hmm. But you know what? You can't realize a savior without some sort of like difficulty. You guys understand that? That's right. Like I understand. Listen, please understand. I'm not preaching doom and gloom so that God can show up. What I am preaching is when we're in doom and gloom, God shows up. In other words, I don't think God needs to make life difficult so we recognize him. But I do understand this, that when you're trusting yourself, he will make life difficult sometimes. How many of you guys like to get things done? I do this all the time. This is like one of my favorite. How many of you are getter done people? 
I, I, man, I need to pray for you more often. I'm just saying. Because if you're a get-or-done person, that means you're always trusting you before you're trusting God. I wish that were different. I really do. I'm subject to what I just said to you. But I know this, that when God catches me, he says, man, James, take your hands off this deal. Let me work. That's when I watch him show up because you know some things you can't fix. Hey, watch, let me say it even differently. You know you can't fix you? You can't fix you. You're trying to fix everybody around you. And God says, hey, just trust me. Surrender your heart to me. Let me transform you. Partner with what I'm doing in your life. It'll make a world of difference. So all this darkness growing around, the, the nature of prophecy always shows up when things are, are like hopeless and dark, and then God speaks hope. Man, with all this dev devastation, a great light will break through. So I don't know what your circumstance is, but maybe you need to start asking God, could you let your light shine, please? Let it break through. I need hope. I need you to release possibility into my life. You know, I want you to think of your own life. Think of the things that are hard for you. Think of times that God has answered. Did he show up? Man, I've been through a lot of stuff. Like, some of us are like, yeah, it took too long. I'll tell you what. He's slow on the go. Uh, no, listen. If God is slow, he's doing something with you. Man, I, I want to win those arguments with God. What about the rest of you? You guys ever argue with God? Like, man, you're just a little too slow. Like, if I were handling this, I would fix it like this. And he goes, yeah, that, that's why you're not God. <laughs> that's pretty much it. And he says, man, go low. Trust me, look at the areas of defeat and remind yourself how many times I've shown up. Watch so that it will encourage your heart that I will show up again. Exactly. Listen, all of us have issues, right? We all have areas that we want God. There isn't a single person I know. There's people that fake it. Maybe you're in a great season. Maybe you're like, man, my life is sweet. Whoo, awesome. Don't worry, it'll change. <laughs> I mean, I don't mean to be like, please, please understand. I'm not trying to again be a prophet of doom, I'm saying the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in all of how you navigate difficulty has all to do with how your heart sees God. Mm -hmm. You know, if, and if I'm honest, and I've shared this with you guys, I feel like this season has been one of the hardest in my life. And I think it's been because there's been so many things piled one right after the other, after the next, after that. And I go, man, God, and you let me preach, how come? And he goes, because you're honest and it gives them hope. And I'm like, me? Me? You know the number one thing that people comment about me? I hear two things. You're a pretty good Bible teacher and you're real. I don't, I don't live in a lofty house. I live right here with y'all. And there's times I wish God would show up sooner and there's times I pray that he does. But listen, what he did promise to do is shine light when there's devastation. So listen, maybe that's your promise for this morning. Maybe that's why you're online listening. Maybe that's why you're in the house listening. Is because you needed to hear that needed needed to hear, tongue twister, that God shows up when you're in a time that's hard. Now listen, my encouragement is let him. Choose him. Choose him. He won't force you to choose him. It's the wildest thing. He won't force you. He'll love you toward it, show you it, but he will not force you to do it. Man, but I'll tell you, once he does show up, it's amazing because not only does he fix you, but he makes you an instrument of freedom. I love that God changes us so that we can be life to other people. It's amazing. It's an amazing thing. It's not the way I would have set it up if I'm honest, 
but that's how God set it up. So yesterday I got a message um, from my brother-in-law. We do this football thing. Like every week we send out a pick six, and we pick six games of who's going to win, who's going to lose. And we pick like the most contested football games, and we see can we pick the over-under. Right now he's winning. I hate losing. It's really bugging me that he's winning. But, but I'm in second, but second is the first loser just for everybody. But anyways, but yeah, he sends me a message, and he says, how are you doing on this beautiful day? And I went, doing okay, tough season. I loved his response. Listen, so some of you are right there. I'm doing okay, like I'm alive and I'm breathing, but I would like to see some stuff shift. I said, I'm doing okay, tough season. This was his response. I think this is very wise, very godly. He said, oh, that just means that God is loving on you. I'm like, what the heck? No, love is when the cars are running right and everybody's in line and there's plenty of money. That, that's, that's love, right? And I said, so tough love, question mark? And he said, sure. Isn't that what we do to our kids when we want them to grow up? Ah, ah. I'm like, listen, just because you're older than me. <laughs> but the reality is he's right. Like sometimes God will love us in a tough way to get our hearts where they need to be to listen to what he's trying to do in us. Now, I just want to encourage you, when things are dark, it just means that God is about to break through. Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. So again, this is just kind of setting the, the stage for the prophecy. Now it goes on in verse 3, and, and he says this in verse 3, you shall multiply the nation. In other words, God is going to show up. You shall increase their gladness. How many of you want some increased gladness? So he's saying, men, they, they will be glad in your presence. I'm going to come back to that. As with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. He says, listen, I'm going to multiply you. This is quantitative. I'm going to give you more. Right, how many of you guys like more? I like a piece of pie, but two pieces of pie is better. Amen? <laughs> like, like, I like more. And then he says this, and I'm going to increase their gladness. Now, this word is more position, importance, power. So, so what the prophecy is saying that, I'm, in, I'm positioning you for a release of more tangible stuff, physical stuff, but also the ability to walk in it, to steward it, to hand the pressure, handle the pressure of it with godliness. Is that encouraging or what? I think that's very encouraging. Like in, in Micah chapter 5, verse 4, this, this very word is used again. And it says this in verse 4. It says, and he, will and he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. In the majesty of the name of the Lord has got this a prophecy of Jesus again. And they will remain because at that time he will be great. Increase, same word, to the ends of the earth. See, I think sometimes we think that God is limited in scope, not limited, not limited at all. In fact, man, I want you to get this. The more that we will invite and surrender to God's power and position in our life, the more we receive his power and position in our lives. I, like, like, let me say it like this. I don't know if anybody has a friend or let, let me use a family example. It's better. Like, I knew this, that when I got alongside my dad, there was safety. How many of you guys had a safe dad? Maybe, maybe some of you didn't, but most of you, hopefully, I had a really safe dad. Like, when he was around, it was kind of like, whew, dad's got it. 
by the way, I, I'm kind of like that in my household. Like if I'm around, everybody's like, oh, dad's got it. Sometimes it annoys the heck out of me, but hey, dad's got it. There's kind of this sense, you know, like when you're around God and you're trusting his position, his prominence, his power, it's kind of like that same scenario. You're with God saying, he, he's got it. I'm trusting him. He's got it. And it says that when that happens, that you would be glad in his presence. Okay, so some of you are like, I mean, I, I must not be preaching very good because some of y'all falling asleep. I don't get that. Like, I never went to church and fell asleep. So I'm just saying, I'm going to start tapping you on the shoulder personally. <laughs> I'm playing with you. So presence, you'll be glad in his presence. Now, anytime you think about the presence of God, you should be thinking this way, worship. Mm -hmm. See, worship and presence, they go hand in hand. Are you guys aware of that? Mm -hmm. It says that God says this about worship, that he inhabits Praise. the praises of his people, right? So, so we were in, in staff meeting the other day, and we were talking through, like, we're doing planning stuff. Like, how are we going to run next year? What are some of the stuff we're going to do? We're talking about midweek service. Like, are we going to run midweek service? Are we going to do small groups again? Because we've done different models in our church over the years. And sometimes people connect better in a home. Sometimes they connect better on a midweek. You know, will we do, you know, worship if we meet together? And I said, man, people really like the breakout groups. You know, so if you come on, on a Wednesday night, we break into groups for discussion. And that seems to be like money. Like, pay, that's where everybody kind of like, so what do you think about this? And they're asking questions of the leaders. It's kind of cool. So we'll teach the Bible and we'll talk about it. And they said, well, why don't we just do a big Q&A, a big discussion thing? And I went, well, if we do that, you kind of lose the online audience because, you know, that whole microphone thing. Like, it won't work very well that way. And they said, yeah, we could just, we could jump straight in because, because the word is really important. And I, I went, so jump straight in. You guys saying no worship? They said, yeah. And I said, no. I said, no. I said, so, and, I, and I, I pulled the pastor card. You guys ready? Yep. I'm the senior pastor. I'm the boss. I dropped the gavel. <laughs> Boom. I, and then I said this. I, no, in all seriousness, I said, listen, this is a value. It's a philosophy of ministry for me. I don't ever do meetings without worship. And they, they, go, they go, well, why? And I, I said, simple. Because worship and presence are connected. They're connected. So I said, listen, you don't have to put a team on the stage. You can do a song or two. You can do it by YouTube if you want to. Whatever works. I'm okay with that. But you cannot do a meeting without worship because it settles people's hearts. The peace of God's presence shows up. And there's something about receiving after worship that is more powerful than receiving just with your noggin. See, worship does something in our hearts that the word doesn't do, and the word does something in our hearts that worship doesn't do. They're very distinctly different. So when you're thinking about it, praise and presence, they go hand in hand. Think like this. Praise summons the character of God. So how many of you guys need grace in your life? Come on, everybody should raise their hands. We all need grace. We all need forgiveness. We all need mercy. Maybe you have a particular thing, courage, strength, fortitude. I don't know what you need. But when you worship, that is what you get. Because the character of God, who is all of those things, shows up with his presence. So when you praise, it is a summons to God, I need you. Listen, I'm not saying don't ever listen to other music. I'm saying there is some music you should never listen to because it's just foul. But I don't think music is inherently evil. But I think it can be. But when your heart is distraught, don't go to that stuff. Go to worship. It'll do a way different thing in your heart 
than will some song that stirs a memory from 20 years ago. Not saying that song is evil, but it doesn't position your heart low before God, humble and ready to receive. It doesn't summons his presence. So when we praise, goodness is released, mercy is released, fullness is released, his faithfulness is released. And like, please don't remove this, that when you're doing those things, it doesn't mean that your circumstances just poof, go away. How many of you guys came in this morning with things that needed to be touched by God? Hello. Come on, show me, church. All of us did, right? Then you worship. Did it automatically poof, go away? No. Sometimes. Not always. Now, I do know this, that when that happens, there is a relieving of the load. There is a casting your cares on God. So, but do you know that that, that is prophetic of the ministry of Jesus, that there would be gladness in his presence? So why do we worship? Gladness in his presence. We want his presence. And I'll tell you what, life can be all cattywampus and crazy. But when I show up and worship, at least for that half hour or so, it's peace. Am I telling the truth right now, church? So listen, peace, presence, gladness, those things are all woven together. Like think like this, man. Praise is something that we do. Trust is something that we are. Praise positions our hearts for trusting God. That's what it does. When you praise, you humble yourself and you're saying to God, I trust you. Now, verse four and five back into Isaiah, he says this in verse four, he says, for you shall break the yoke of their burden. How many of you need a, a yoke broken? Like that, you need the lifting off of the heaviness in your life. Hello? And the staff off of their shoulders and the rod of their oppressor as in the battle of Midian for every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult is cloaked and rolled in blood for the burning, the fuel of fire. Listen, the point of this right here is if you want God to show up and lift off the stuff, get before him low. His promise is that he'll break yokes. He'll break burdens, that he'll break the, the rod of the oppressor that's on you. So listen, when Messiah comes, he will set things right. Mm-hmm. Now, did Messiah come? Yes. 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 So what's the gap between him setting things right and where we are? It's called faith, church. How will you walk with him? How will you agree with him? How will you move with him? Listen, we all have stuff that we want God to minister in. But if we're talking about why did Jesus come, because this world is jacked up, it's broken. Mm-hmm. And if I'm honest, we hang on to this world just a little bit too much. So is Jesus Messiah? Is he a man? Is Jesus as Messiah God? Which one is it? The, the answer is both, isn't it? You know that this was a hotly contested topic in the early church? Like, was Jesus really man? Was he really God? Was he really both? The, the, the word is hypostatic union. You don't have to remember that. It's just a theological term that means that God and man are the same thing. He's fully God and he's fully what? Man. So, so let's look at this. What do the scriptures say about this stuff? And just a couple verses that focus more on the humanity and on the deity of God. So verse six, it says, for unto us, a child will be born and a son will be given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace. Man, these are all great, aren't they? There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. How long? Forevermore. And then it says this. It's great. 
the zeal of the Lord of the host will accomplish. In other words, God's passion for you will make this come about. Okay, but I'm only going to focus on a couple things this morning. We're going to cover the second half of this next week. So, so this, this first part is, for unto us a child will be born and a son will be given. So this is, listen, it's speaking of both the humanity and the deity of Jesus. This is a prophecy of Jesus coming as the Messiah. So when we think about this stuff, I, I want to connect you into it with John chapter 1. So John was fascinating in how he saw Jesus. Now, how many of you guys know that there's four Gospels of Jesus? Mm -hmm. Say amen. Four Gospels. Three of the four of them are called synoptics. And you're like, what? No, we don't use that word. Just think similar. Mm -hmm. They're similar. They're similar narratives of the same story. But John's Gospel is not like that. It's entirely different. Now, there's some stories that are lapping over, but for the most part, John's gospel is quite unique. Now, the first chapter of John is very specific in how it sees Jesus as both God and man. So, so watch. This is John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God. So, in the beginning. So, I got a question for you. What beginning? Cre creation, the very beginning. Well, as best I understand it, God is eternal, right? Yeah, right. So that means God is without beginning or end, right? right? So is he talking about the beginning of God? Well, how can he be if there's no beginning for God? That's not what he's talking about. He's saying that at the point of the inception of the world, the creation of the world, the creation of you and I, Jesus was there. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. So the Word was in, the Word was with, the Word was God. So the Word in the beginning, Jesus was in the beginning. So have you ever wondered, like, did Jesus create mankind? Yeah. Guys, yes or no? What do you think? Yeah. Yes. You're like, okay, well, I'm pretty sure if he's able to create, that makes him what? God. But was Jesus also there? Yes. So that makes him man, right? Hmm. Okay, let's keep going. So, so the second thing is, and the, the word was with God. Now listen, listen. This speaks of unity and purpose. This is really important. Like, you know that God has, like, the same idea about everything he does. Like, in other words, like, I, I just pick on you guys a little bit. You know, I joke all the time that God loves me more than y'all. You know, that's a lie, actually. It's actually not true. It's funny, though, isn't it? Because, like, God loves me more than Gonzalo, but he doesn't really. The truth is this. He loves both of us equally. Equ well, actually, I would even sacrificially. As much love as you could ever pour out on an individual, that is what God gives. Now, now watch. Here's where this becomes more challenging. Let's talk about your neighbor or your friend or, or somebody you know who doesn't, eat, like, they're not even interested in God. Like, they're reprobate. They live all sorts of crazy. Does God love them as much as he loves you? Yes. See, so you, you, you got to understand that like the word was with God. In other words, all of what God was doing and talking was all about this idea that, that God operates in unanimity. Like there isn't something that's separate. It's not like, like wrath and justice are different things. They're woven together. All of God's character is always woven together. And it says that the word was God. This is literally saying that Jesus was God and that everything that flows from Jesus flows from this idea that they are connected and purpose and unity in the beginning and creation all the way through the, the story of salvation. And then in verse 3 of John, he says this, And all things came into being. How many things? All things. 
So all things came into being with Jesus, but Jesus was also a being. Man, I'm confused, Pastor. You're jacking with me. You're right, I am. I'm trying to. He was fully God and he was fully man. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has ever come into being. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. See, light and life, vibrancy, purity, possibility, the release of God. See, what we're talking about is this. We're talking about the humanity of Jesus. Did he really exist? Was he really here? Now, there's this great story. I'm only going to tell you the story. We don't need to turn to any Bible verses. John chapter 8, we, you guys know the I am statements of Jesus? Incidentally, those are only in the Gospel of John. There's eight of them, by the way. I'm the way, the truth, the life. I'm the door. I'm the good shepherd. He, several I am's. And then my favorite one is I am that I am. That's my favorite one. And this story, around this story, he's dealing with the Pharisee. Now, the Pharisees are kind of jacked up. You guys ever have those friends that are always railing on you, like maybe they're work friends, and if you make a mistake, they're like, ha, ah, I gotcha, and then they, they ride you like a cheap pony forever, right? <laughs> That's the Pharisees. So the Pharisees show up with Jesus, and they're like, yeah, we know that you say that, that you have a father and your father's God, but like, pardon the, the crassness of what I'm about to say, but you are of bastard origin. That's what they say to him. In the original language, that's the word they use. Oh my so I'm not trying to be crass from the front. I'm trying to be as emphatic as they were. You're illegitimate, Jesus. And Jesus goes, listen, I'm not illegitimate. It, it, like, like, listen, they go, we're from Abraham. We're of Abraham's seed. Like, we're, like, he's the father of faith. We trust Abraham. We don't trust you. And he said, if you were really from Abraham's seed, you would love me. You wouldn't try to kill me. And then he says this to him. He says, listen, Abraham saw my day coming, and he was glad about it. And y'all are trying to kill me? They said, how can that be? You're, all, you're not even 50 years old, and Abraham is, you know, at this point, probably 2,000 years old. There's no way. And he says, before Abraham was, I am. So next time somebody says to you, Jesus never said he was God, John chapter 8. Yes, he did. Yeah, yeah, yes, he did. See, because they all understood that that phrase, I am, was associated when Moses said, God, show me who you are. And God said, I am. Same thing. People tell you, Jesus never said that. Baloney, he didn't. Then why did they pick up rocks and try to stone him right afterwards? Because he declared that he was God. So next time you're wondering now, by the way, he did that as a man. So how do you know, like, I don't know if you guys are like, sometimes I get in my head a little bit. Like, I think like, what about Jesus's first steps? Like, you ever thought about this? Like, Jesus was a baby. Like, he didn't come out of the womb articulate and walking. He had to learn how to what? Wow. Like, like, I wonder if Mary ever thought like, man, I gave birth to the son of the world. I, I wonder if he'll ever poop his diaper. I don't know. Like, I, I wonder, like, I wondered, like, did Jesus go through puberty? Like, do you ever wonder, like, I know you guys are like, from the pulpit, Pastor? No, I just think like this. My kids, my kids come like, like, I remember Michael, Michael do something like this. Hey, Dad, I'm hungry. Because his voice, like, did Jesus go through that? Like, sometimes we make them all like, oh. But the reality is, just like you and me, he understood pain. He understood rejection. He understood sorrow, suffering. He understood every loss that you've ever experienced, 
He understands it. Lazarus dies, Jesus weeps. Now, as God, he had the authority to call him out of the grave. But as his friend, he was brokenhearted, just like you and I when we use a lo lose a loved one. Mm -hmm. Not as he, if Jesus isn't fully human, then there's a disconnect between my struggle and what he experienced. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes we wonder, like, why did he have to come in the flesh? Because he had to set the record straight. So I'm going to come back to that in just a second, but I want to move down now to John 14, John chapter 1, verse 14, and finish this idea between fully God and fully man, which, by the way, is an expression of the, the Isaiah chapter that we've been talking about, okay. that, a, that a son is born, and, or a child is born, and a son is given. So verse 14, John says this, and the word became flesh, like skin and bones, flesh. And, we, and he dwelt among us, literally tabernacled. And we saw his glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus becomes a man, and literally, he lives among us. So, so it's important to understand this, that, that like, oh man, I don't know. I, I want you guys to get this. See, here's the trouble with, with human life, right? That there's sin. This is the trouble. Like, like, I don't know if you, like, sometimes I like to paint. Like, like I should probably write screenplays because it'd probably be entertaining. Like, I think, like, the picture in heaven, you've got all these angels that God created, right? And you've got Michael and Gabriel, and they're, like, noble. They're warrior angels. And then you got Lucifer, who later becomes known as Satan. Okay, so, so Lucifer's up there, and he's like, man, I'm going to be like God. I'm going to raise my throne up. I, like, People are going to worship me instead of where I want his job. And there's a third of the angels that decide to rebel against God with Lucifer. Now, you guys are like, Pastor, I already understand this. You teach us this stuff all the time. No, but, but what I'm about to say, I hope you get it. Here's the problem with God kicking Lucifer out of heaven. He sent him to earth where you and I live. See, listen, this is the cataclysmic battle between the lion and the dragon. That, that's what you're seeing. And you know what's crazy? Is you are the thing being battled for. I don't know if you've ever really thought about that. The devil doesn't want the earth. He doesn't care about the earth. He wants your soul. Devil doesn't, he doesn't want any of the stuff. He wants your thoughts. And your, why do you think there's such a battle in your head? He doesn't want the things. He wants you. That's what he's after. Man, I'm going to get to heaven and go, God, of all the places, why do you send him to Mars? <laughs> like, I sent him to Mars. Like, because he's bad. And, and he's in the battle, and he's in to kill and steal and rob and destroy. And, and Jesus, so Jesus comes in the flesh. Why did Jesus have to come as a man? Like, I don't know if you guys like, 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 think, like a baby born, like babies are vulnerable. Why, why did Jesus have to come as a man? So Satan's down here, Adam and Eve, they sin. So did sin happen on earth in the flesh? Yes, yes or no? Yes. 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 Okay, so, so here's the theological reason why Jesus had to come in the flesh. Sin entered the world through flesh. Righteousness needed to enter the world through flesh. Jesus had to demonstrate as the second Adam, last Adam, that he could overcome sin and death. 
which we see lived a sinless life, went into the ground, rose from the dead. Now, why is that important to you and I? Our God wins. Amen. That's really important. Yes, you're in a battle. Say, I'm in a battle, Pastor. I get it. He's always jacking with my life one way or another. Like, he's kind of tireless, too. But God is, like, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-sustaining. He's the one who gives strength. And we lean into that, and we're able to walk through all this craziness. Jesus came in the flesh because sin entered through flesh. Righteousness had to be conquered through that same concept. So... You know, as we start to like head this thing down, we wrap it up this morning. I want to talk to you about, again, why did God come in the flesh? A couple other things that I think are very, very powerful. In Matthew 1.23, it says this. It says, behold, the virgin will be with child and she will bear a son and you will call his name Emmanuel. When you translate that, it means God with us. So, so listen, listen, listen. Why did Jesus come? Because he had to share the issue of sin and overcome it. Had to share it. Like, I'm not sure if you guys ever really think about this, but the Bible says that Jesus was tested in every single way. Every way. So, so listen, watch, watch, watch. Does that mean that Jesus was tempted to go drinking with his buddies? See, look, we get in trouble with this, don't we? Like, what are you talking about, Pastor? He's Jesus. Listen, if Jesus wasn't tempted, then he can't understand my weakness. This is really important because sometimes we make it so like, oh, he never really existed. And he was a baby that never went to the bathroom and he never had any. No, no, no. He was challenged in every way that you and I are challenged. So was he challenged to like, come on, the devil came and tempted him, right? Cast yourself off the temple. You're hungry. Command the stones to be bread. He tempted him. Why? Why? Because he had to demonstrate the power over sin for you and I. Mm -hmm. See, he was tempted in all ways, watch, yet without sin. See, what he did was demonstrated that we can conquer because, listen, he conquered. Mm -hmm. I've said this to you a lot over the last weeks. We're not talking about perfection. We're talking about progression. We're talking about where God keeps showing up and you keep agreeing with him. Man, it's hard to agree with God sometimes in the moment, isn't it? Like, if we're honest, isn't it? Like, man, I, I'll tell you, it's, tell me if this is your greatest struggle. This, this is my greatest struggle. J- just shut up. You, you ever have the Holy Spirit go, shut up? He never says shut up to me. Shh. That's a usual, shh. I say shut up because it's funny. Everybody's, shh, just shh. Don't, don't say it. I'm like, and then I say it, and it all blows up, doesn't it? And if I would have listened, if I just would have listened, see, God will always challenge us to agree with him when he's moving among us. But temptation is real, and and Jesus knew that. See, he knew that he needed to overcome sin and demonstrate righteousness. What about vulnerability? And how many of you ever been betrayed, rejected, had your friends dog you? you, Even if you didn't do something dumb, they're talking all kinds of crazy about you, gossiping. Man, gossip, slander, just ugly, dark, evil. Did that happen to Jesus? Sure did. Now, why, why would the Son of God choose to come into a, a sinful world and make himself vulnerable to the point of death? Because he loved us. To demonstrate his authority over sin. He didn't respond the same way they did. 
I, you guys remember, like, he's before Pilate. He goes, man, you don't even have power. Don't you know I could call down legions of angels? Like, I could do this, and this whole thing blows up. But he chose to be vulnerable. He chose to honor the Father with what the plan was. See, to me, that's massive. That's so powerful because I can't do it minute to minute. And Jesus did it with his whole life, his entire life. Man, it's powerful. But it gives me hope that I can overcome, that you can overcome. Listen, that we can overcome. Amen? Amen. So, so why did he experience loss? Listen, again, I'm almost done. I got like two minutes. Just hang in with me. Two minutes. Why did Jesus experience loss? How many of you in the room have, have lost a parent, loved one, somebody really close to you? Yeah. Then you get alongside somebody who just loses a loved one or somebody really close to them. And does something of the nature of God happen in you because you can feel their brokenness, their pain, their sorrow? That's called the compassion of God. It's like when Bella and I were talking last night and she, and she started to talk to me about, it was the part where she was saying like, like I'm, I'm caring for all of these girls who are emotionally, you know, physically and, and sexually abused. And, and I knew that God, and she stopped, she goes, oh! goes like that. Cause she's like, I don't want to be all embarrassed in front of the church and, and cry. And I'm like, oh honey, that's because the compassion of God is welling up in you to love somebody who, who feels unlovely who's been marginalized and taken advantage of. That's so powerful. So Jesus experienced loss to demonstrate compassion. Why did he experience temptation? I already shared this, but he can't understand my struggle if he didn't have to face it and win. And then his winning allows me to what? Win. Allows you to what? That, that's why. So why is it so important that Jesus came as a man? See, most of us don't have difficulty thinking he was God. Many of us have, have difficulty thinking like he actually hung with the disciples, like, like he went synagogue to synagogue and preached. Like, you know, I wonder if they hung out and did like Franks and beans at the campfire kind of thing. You know, I wonder what it was like for them. But we know that that was part of the engagement, the interaction that he did life with them. And in doing so, that means that I can do life because he did life. See, so Jesus coming as a baby, please don't think that's small. Please don't think that a child being born, like the prophecy that, man, hope is coming, the anguish is going, the darkness, light is coming into the world. Amen. Man. Amen. So let me wrap up with a, a passage from Isaiah chapter 11, and I'm going to pray for you and, and send you all out. So again, this is connected to the same prophetic language regarding Jesus. It says, then a shoot will spring up from the stem of Jesse. Incidentally, Jesse is the father of David, King David, who Jesus is in the family line of. And a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. This is speaking of Jesus now. The spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of strength, the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. Well, the only way he could fear the Lord is if he came as a man. God wouldn't fear God. He had to walk as a man to know that, that struggle. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord, the honor of God, literally. And he will not judge by what he sees, nor make a decision by what his ears hear, but with righteousness. He's going to judge the poor and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. By the way, that's you and I, isn't it? 
the poor, the afflicted, and he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, he'll slay the wicked. And also righteousness will be the, the belt about his loins and faithfulness, the belt about his waist. And the wolf will lie down with the lamb. I don't know about you guys. I don't see too many wolves lying down with lambs. That, that means I'm going to settle the, the issue of sin. And the leopard will lie down with the young goat, the calf with the young lion, and the fatling together. And a little boy, what will? A little boy will lead them. I don't know about you guys, but I just kind of go, wow, that's amazing. See, this all in the context of God knowing that sin had ravaged the earth, that darkness had rested on the earth, that difficulty would land in our lives thousands of years later, and that we would have an anchor for our souls to hang on to. See, Christmas is not a small thing. Like, Christmas is awesome, right? Like, Christmas trees and presents, and we spend money on people and probably too much of it. We just do all, like, the fanfare, the fun. It's awesome, right? It's fun. But at the end of the day, Christmas is not about that. It's about the Savior coming into the world, all the vulnerability, all the humanity, all of the deity, so that you and I can walk in newness of life and in freedom. Amen. 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 Let me pray for you, and we'll, we'll jump into the wonderful counselor part next week. Looking forward to doing that with you. Father, I want to thank you this morning um, that, that we can gather together in the middle of hard times, in the middle of success, that there's life happening in, for every single one of us, and some of that life can be tough. And God, we want to say thank you that in this season we celebrate that you sent your son into the world as a human being and as God to remedy the issue of sin. It's a crazy thought that through the vulnerability of a child, a baby, that you would bring us back to newness of life. God, I pray that you would make yourself real, fresh, new in each one of our hearts. God, I pray everything about Christmas would be deeply enjoyed, family, friends, gifts, food, all of it. But I, I pray, God, that we would most enjoy, Jesus, that you're the one who restores hearts. You're the one who strengthens in weakness. You're the one who shines light where there's devastation. So, God, we pray for your help to walk with you by faith, to stand in strength. And we pray that you would undergird us in all areas of our lives. God, let this season be one where we don't coast through it, but we really kind of dig in deeper in our hearts and say thank you for your faithfulness in each one of our lives. So we pray as we go today, God, that we would go with safety, with grace, and that we would go with your, your name on our mouth and on our lips, that we would declare that the name of Jesus is the name above all names, and that that would become more and more real in each one of our hearts pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, hey, God bless you, God.